talking about the promises of God and uh, being able to rely on them. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about, this, uh, that, that God is faithful and trustworthy, and we can put the full weight of our trust in Him and rely on Him because He is faithful and He tells the truth. That's going to be kind of what we're looking at this morning. I'm trying to catch up. We went started in First John the other day, or maybe a couple of months ago. It's been some time. So I'm just going to quickly read through and try to catch us up. But before we do that and look at his word, let's ask God's blessing on it. Lord, I always or usually feel very um, weak and inadequate to stand up here and tell people what you say. I can't think of anything that is more almost awesome in a way to do that, to, to say this is what you say, how horrible it would be if, I, if we got that mixed up and we put our own personal thoughts into the mix. And I just really pray that that, that will never happen to me or to this pulpit and that you would just protect us from, from ourselves, really, and uh, help us to be faithful. Thank you for the, for the word. Thank you for the fact that you are a God of truth, that you have communicated your word to us. It is trustworthy. It is a foundation that is secure. Um, as the little Scottish lady said when talking about your word, she said that she has often trembled upon the rock but the rock has never trembled under her. And that's, that's a true statement with your word. <clears throat> we can go to it and read it, and our hearts and lives can be warmed, or it can be broken, we can be touched, we can rejoice, we can weep and cry, but the word remains the same, and it is sound and solid, and I thank you for that. And I thank you that you've given it to us, that we can read it and study it. Help us to be faithful as we seek to handle your truth. And I ask your blessing upon this time tonight. Protect us from ourselves as I asked a minute ago and, and just help us to understand what you have to say to us. And I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. First John, uh, John is going to be talking about the things that help to bring assurance salvation that's a good thing although I'm not a big one to try to get people to be assured 
unless we're certain that they are saved because you can give false assurance and have somebody feel good about it and walk away with a smile on his face but actually be headed in the wrong direction. Amen. And we don't want that. Uh, and that's especially true. I, I work out at Camp Good News. Not work out there, but I'm on the board, at least right, for right now. And uh, that's, a, that's a good place to be. Uh, and there's a lot of work going on to share the gospel with, with kids. But it's really easy to try to get three or four numbers of kids that have raised their hand and put that down and give them smiles and a little card or something that they've come to Christ, come to Jesus, but they've never really made a commitment. It's really important that we follow up on those things. It's very important that we do that. That, that, that I think the success depends on that. That's the job of the church. So um, having said that, First John does seek to tell us how we can know for sure that we're saved. I would think that's a good thing to do, to have that assurance. And so I'm going to just, I'm backing up to verse 1 and reading it, talking about, since we're talking about truth and things that are certain, these verses really fit right in with that. It starts out in verse 1, what was from the beginning, and that kind of just reminds us that he's going to be talking about the the gospel, what we've seen, what we've heard and stuff. When he's talking about from the beginning, he's talking about the fact that the gospel and the message doesn't change. It doesn't start out one way and then later on change and become something different. It's unchangeable and uh, it is a rock. He goes on to say what we have heard, that is his words, what we have seen with our eyes, his works and his activity, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, uh, concerning the word or the message of life and the life was manifested or made clear or visible and the second thing that is there that is gospel message is something that actually took place in space and time in history the message and the giving of it the Lord's uh, activity involved with us we uh, can look back over church history and see a lot of people that have sacrificed a lot to give us what we have God's truth has been preserved by his oversight and through people committed to him. The third thing is that uh, it was the truth that was also proclaimed. He says that in the middle, middle of verse 2, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested or made visible or clear to us what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. The, so the truth is something that can be communicated and it is something that can be trans, translated or transmitted from one person to another. That's one of the things we were praying about earlier is that we wouldn't mess it up when we have the truth. That's, that's a big responsibility. Also, uh, he goes on to say, so that you may have fellowship. Fellowship has to do with a mutual participation, being involved in a kind of a common cause, uh, that you can have fellowship with us because the truth does bring us together. It does unite our hearts in the truth. Uh, have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship our uh, union if you will is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ so that we can also say that God's truth does indeed bind us together this is kind of a quick review it's not really what we're going to be looking at but it just kind of gives us an introduction and then lastly uh, the gospel truth he says there uh, we, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. We talked about joy this morning. 
and uh, that the communication of God's truth and the response to God's truth produces joy. I am, have been for, I guess, two years now really trying to work on my heart because I see that my heart is, is aimed more at self-centered things rather than divine things. And I, I don't have the capacity to change my heart. I really don't even have the capacity to know my heart, much less to change it. Neither do you, really. And uh, yet I know that it's, that it, we're looking like, we talked at the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is not as much about four preachers casting out the gospel message as it is about four hearts receiving the message and four kinds of hearts. And uh, that speaks to me as well. And so I just, I really appreciate the Lord giving us these passages and these verses that help us to evaluate our hearts and the response of our heart and the fruit that comes out of our lives. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, it's, it's really, really important. And uh, I don't want to ignore that. I don't want to pass over that. And so uh, this, this verse here just tells us, tells us <clears throat> that the word, that we respond to the word, and it does indeed produce joy in our lives. Um, I, I think, and I, I don't really know this for a fact. I know J. Vernon McGee, when he spoke at the Ben Lippin several years ago, talked about Christians. He said Christians are really, you go to the church a lot of times, they're kind of bitter and sour, look like they've been winged on a dill pickle, and so just not, not responding very, with big smiles and stuff. And uh, I don't know if that's the case, but I do know that if, if we really put the Lord first, he produces joy. I know that. And, um, and I think that's, that's important. I think it's contagious, actually. And if people see the joy in your life, uh, there's something there that attracts them. And uh, it's not that we want, I don't want people to be attracted to me. Um, I've had people say good things about me. That, that means nothing. The only one that really matters is when you stand before the throne. And it's that that I pray that the Lord will help me hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, you like to have people pat you on the back and say good things about you, but you don't. That those things, they many times it's flattery. Many times it's deceptive. Many times it can lead you down the wrong path. But you want to live before the Lord. You see what I'm saying? And I think that's important. So these are those verses there at the beginning of this text, and we get it now. Uh, I want to begin in round. Um, I'm just going to read through it. Verse five. This is the message which we have heard from him, that is Christ, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I'm not going to preach on this verse tonight, but we will come back to that, because that's a description of what God is like. He's light. Uh, Jesus, uh, John 4, talks about light has come into the world. How did men respond to the light? They love the darkness more than the light, because their deeds are evil. And, and you know what? I can think about things that I do in my life or have done in my life that I enjoy and I don't want to give them up, but you have to make a choice. And the choice needs to be between yourself or Christ. And the Bible tells us to deny ourselves, put him first. And that's, that's important. So that's the beginning of the verse. Then he goes on to talk about not so much God, but sin. <clears throat> if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth, and that is a verse that's going to lead us into the study of, of doing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we want to walk in the light. We want to walk in the fellowship with him because he cleanses us and he gives us that fellowship, that camaraderie. That's where the fellowship comes from. As we walk in together with him, we, we have that joy, that fellowship together. He goes on to say, if we say that we have no sin, we lie, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Again, there is a subject of truth uh, we're going to be considering tonight. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does confess mean when it says confess our sins? Yeah, it means to say the same thing he does about it. Don't, don't blame it on somebody else. You get mad, you say something. Don't turn around and say, well, he made me do this. No, you did it. And we blame it and we don't pass the buck. Don't, that we used to talk about, I preached a sermon one time on blame shifting. And uh, the, the people that own Pedro's porch happened to be here that time. And she, ever since then, has come, has said something about, you know, we, we have to not blame shifts. They were stuck in her mind. But anyway, um, he says, we confess our sins. We say the same thing about our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just let me ask the question, are you glad that verse is in the Bible? I am. Because I've worn that one out. I really have. Doesn't give us an excuse to sin, but we know that God promises if we confess, if we're serious and we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that may lead us now into talking about truth because here is a word from the Lord. If it is true, we can bank on it. If it's not true, then what are we going to do? So, so much depends upon us and the response to the truth. We're going to look at four things, and you have it in that, in that after my son's insistence that we write and uh, put in an outline. Uh, we're going to look at the source of truth briefly, the value of truth, uh, the response to truth, and uh, I don't know why my, my, my notes got cut off, but that's all right. Response of truth, and then lastly, the enemy of truth, which is, of course, the devil, and he's... Uh, He's always getting his hand in things. He's the one that appeared in the garden and questioned God's word. But the source of truth, we know where the truth comes from. We know the truth uh, is a quality that comes from the Lord. Uh, Jesus, in John 14, 6, you know the verse, Jesus said, I am the way, truth, truth and life. That's right, I am the one. It's for me, no man comes to the Father but through me. And that guy that approached Peter there and said, well, that's your opinion. Peter said, well, that's what the verse says. You don't have to interpret it. That's just plain, it says plain English right there. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's as clear as it can be. And that's a good statement. If God tells the truth, <clears throat> then here's a verse, not only for hope, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, but also a warning to know where to go and how to come. So it's a very important, important statement. It really very important. So that verse, chapter, verse 1, verse 14 is another passage that talks about truth. Not only is we, it tells us that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, but in the verse, John 1, 14, which is the verse that talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelt among us, that's what he says. Uh, and we, John says, beheld his glory, his contrast, his magnificence, his splendor. We beheld him... It, not all the time did we see him radiant and displaying light, but we saw his, his majesty, his glory, his goodness. We heard his sermons. 
we saw his love, his patience with people, and uh, he just saying that we beheld his glory, the glory as of the uniquely born of the Father, full of grace and truth. You could bank on what he said. You could take it, put it to the, take it to the bank because what he said was true. Uh, Isaiah says there was no deceit found in his mouth. No deceit found in his mouth. You know what? Um, we we um, and, and I can do that too. We we take truth real lightly sometimes. We, we don't think anything about it. We we twist something a little bit here or there. We don't even think of it as being untruthful. Just kind of saying something that leads people to believe something that isn't isn't so. And we do that, and we shouldn't. We should be sensitive about that, about telling the truth. What does the Revelation say um, that one of the things that's going to be thrown into the lake of fire are all liars? Mm. Now, a liar, technically speaking, is not just somebody who once or every once in a while says a lie, but it's something that, that's a, that marks their life. They are just in the habit of lying. Just like a drunkard is not a person who just had a glass of wine for his meal, but as a person who drinks all the time, but can't control it. And uh, this, is, um, this is a warning because lying is so deceptive. Um, we're supposed to be, God is not used to that. What is the Lord, what's the tool that God uses in his activity when he creates things? His mouth, he speaks. The Bible says over and over again, the mouth of the Lord is spoken. It, it's what does the inspiration of the scripture mean? It means that, that God's word is breathed. It has God's breath on it as it comes out of his mouth. And uh, his, his word is, is um, a very powerful tool. It, it accomplishes what he wants it to accomplish when he speaks. I think that between you and me, I think that that's probably the, one of the main reasons why Jesus was silent so often toward his accusers, as the scripture says. Because when he spoke, things happened. And it was in mercy, I think, to a large degree, that he didn't defend himself or didn't say the things that, that when he did say them, like he told the, the, the Jewish leaders when they asked him whether he was the Messiah, and he said, you'll see the Messiah coming in the realm of glory. Well, that's going to be a very rude awakening for some people. That's going to be a very harsh thing. Anyway, here he is. Here's the Lord. No deceit found in his mouth. Uh, the Bible tells us in, in John 8 that the devil... Uh, is the father of lies. Jesus talked to the Pharisees and he told them that they were of the father of the devil. He made that clear to them. <clears throat> it's a very, very strong accusation to level against religious people who are supposed to be on the side of the Lord against the devil. And he's saying, no, you're not against the devil. You are actually deceived by him and you're one of his tools, one of his instruments. And uh, you are of his, your father the devil. The father being that he is the kind of the, the example of which they have been following and, and uh, kind of motivated by. And so that's a pretty serious thing uh, to say. Um, one other thing that I don't want to pass up, and that is that the, that the, the Holy Spirit, uh, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the source of the Holy Spirit, is a major component in the inspiration of the New Testament, the scriptures. And I'll just give you one verse, and you can look at others, but they're in John 16, 3. Um, 
Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, now when the Holy Spirit comes, well, what does it mean the Holy Spirit comes? Well, the Holy Spirit is, of course, everywhere. He's God. He's, every, he's, multi, he's everywhere. But he's going to be coming in a unique power. The day of Pentecost, it, it gives the description, uh, I think it's Joel, that says he's poured out. The Spirit has been poured out. It's an abundant giving. And to everybody that owns the Lord, he is poured out indiscriminately and abundantly so that you have people functioning under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, this is going to be when Jesus goes, he's going to guide you like a man who's guiding somebody who's blind. He is going to guide you into all truth. Now, I don't know exactly how to find the all truth other than I think he's just saying he's going to guide you in all the truth that he's going to give that what the truth is going to be given to you he's going to guide you into that all truth and he's not going to come and speak from himself and that's very that sounds kind of harsh at first why is the Holy Spirit coming and not going to speak to himself that's his plan that's his motive that's his operenda he's coming not to point to himself but to point to Jesus and to relate the things of Jesus to us and have it written down. And so he says he's not going to come, he's not going to speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he's going to be relaying the message, whatever he hears, um, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So, you want to hear what the Lord says, you want to know what the Holy Spirit says, get your Bible and read it. It's God speaking. It's not God speaking, and sometimes we, we'll say something like this, you know, I was reading my Bible, and I came across this verse, and all of a sudden, God just really spoke to me on that verse, and just really, I've never seen that before. And I understand what you mean, and every, what you say is perfectly fine, that it, it is, but if you're reading, and you don't, and it doesn't impact you, and you're reading, and you have to read it three or four times, God is still speaking when you read the text. And uh, just remember that, that the words that are there are words of truth from God. Second thing we're going to look at in that whole section of, of truth is not only the source of truth but also the value of truth <clears throat> jesus said in john 17 in that prayer 17 17 uh he he was talking to after he talked to his disciples in john 13 14 15 and 16 which is the first four verses of the upper room discourse then he turned to chapter 17 he didn't turn to it but chapter 17 relates to the fact that he turned now to the father he was talking to his disciples about himself and about his going to the Father. Then he turns from his disciples and talks to the Father about the disciples that are here. And one of the things he asks the Father to do is to sanctify them by your truth. And he says, your word is true. So he makes it clear that God's word, the scriptures, are truth, and that those uh, verses are sufficient. What does sanctify mean? Set apart. Set apart. Yeah. So he's, he's basically saying <clears throat> to help you set, be set apart from your own self-centeredness and your own lust and help to be, and be set apart from the things of the world and all the distractions. And would you agree that there's a lot of distractions today? I mean, you can't even turn the TV on without getting anything. that I've had people tell me they just cut TV off because there's just so much garbage on that. They don't even want to watch it. And I agree with that. I, I can certainly concur with that. And I agree. There's a lot of things I don't watch that I used to watch. And I just have gotten so sick of these things. I just don't, don't watch them. He says sanctify or the God's word 
cleanses you and, and, and uh, separates you from this worldly stuff and helps to cleanse your mind and your heart. God's Word will do that. You read it and, and digest it. Read it intentionally. Read it for content. Read it for, for um, comprehension, to be able to comprehend what it says. And uh, I think it's better to read one chapter every day for a week than it is to just to quickly go through a book and then another book and another book. Slow down and read it a little bit. I've had to do that all the time. I'm, I'm just very, mentally I'm very lazy because I'll, I'll get my Bible and I'll start reading and I'll come across a verse or a passage or I have on my phone an a, a app that gives the pronunciation of almost all the difficult words in the Bible. If you want a copy of that, I can tell you where you can get it. And you can hit it and it'll tell you what, how it's pronounced and stuff. And so I'll be reading and I'll come across uh, Padam Aram in, the, in there and I'll say, now, how is that pronounced? And so I'll look it up stuff and I'll start thinking and then it'll give a reference. So I'll go over here. First thing you know, I've been bouncing around for 15 minutes to everything else except reading what I was supposed to be reading. So I'm, even, I'm easily detoured and distracted like that and I have to know that. Uh, so um, I try not to do that. But reading the scripture is really important, putting it in your mind and your heart and uh, concentrating. And what I was going to get at was that I have to keep coming back to the same verse and starting over again sometimes because I just am, I know that, that you, you think belittling of me to do that, but I have to keep going back and forth and rereading sometimes a chapter. And then, I, and because it, and, and I realized I wasn't even thinking about the chapter when I was reading it. I was reading it, but I was thinking about something else. So, uh, very lazy mentally. So, um, you can pray for my mind. Uh, in addition to getting older and forgetting forgetful, it gets lazy. Anyway, the value of truth is that it sanctifies us from the truth. Uh, David's prayer, <clears throat> listen to this. I just got several verses from the Old Testament. This is from 2 Samuel 7, 28-29. And David is, is praying. He says, So now, O Lord Yahweh, you are God, and your words are truth. And you have promised this good thing to your slave. So now, be pleased and bless the house of your slave, that it may be forever before you. For you, O Lord Yahweh, have spoken. And with your blessing, may the house of your slave be blessed forever. Now, if God's word is truth, then here is Here's David relying on what he said, and he's counting on the promises that he's made, and that his word is, is faithful, and he's going to keep his promise. That's the value of the truth. It's trustworthy. You can go to those promises. Daniel did that in Babylon. He went to Jeremiah, and he read after they'd been there for 70 years. He saw that the 70 years was about over, and he said, Lord, you've promised us at the end of the 70 years you were going to bring your people back. I'm asking you to go ahead and start doing that and getting things ready and keeping your promise. And the Lord did. He did bring them back. He did work. Another passage um, that is a good one is in Psalm 40. Uh, the psalmist says, David, the, the writer here, says, Do not conceal your righteousness within my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not hide your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. You, O Yahweh, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness, and loving kindness is another aspect of truth. It's God's loving kindness to his people. Loving, your loving kindness and your truth will continually guard me. 
For evils beyond number have surrounded me, my iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Yahweh, to deliver me. Make haste, O Yahweh, to help me. You see there? It's, it's just, this is God's word. He's relying on the truth of what God has said. I'm surrounded by enemies and other things like that, but you have spoken. And because you are truthful and honest, I can count on what your word has said. I can bank on it. That's, that's the same thing we were talking We were talking about that the other day about God's sovereignty and how glad we are for that. Because Pete mentioned this morning that uh, the, he, he knows God is sovereign. He's right. He's on the throne. And he's in charge. It doesn't look like it. It looks like he's gone out and gone on vacation or something. You know what I'm saying? It's just that's the way it appears. And when you just look at the circumstances. But the circumstances are not the truth. God's word is the truth. And it's what tells us who's on the throne and what's going to happen. And we know that he will confirm that and that he has a reason and a motive behind it. And I don't know what it is. You know, we can always speculate about all kinds of things, but we, God's in charge. He is able to do what he wants to do, and, uh, and we know that. No, he's not weak. He's not asleep. Uh, one more verse, and then we'll look at the response to truth. And that's Psalm 119. It says, the psalmist says, the sum of your word, that is the, the summit, the beginning, the chief head, the end of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. It does not change. Which I picked out on this one, the fact that he says that your judgments, the scriptures, are judgments as well. They're truth. <clears throat> and you can bank on it and you be warned about it. The, when the Bible gives us warnings in scripture, it's not just the, the things we want and the things that we, we are happy to have, but it's the warnings in Scripture also that are inspired. And we want to take those judgments seriously and listen to them, to let him speak to our hearts. Um, he, he's so good to do that. He's so good to do that. And so I'm just very thankful. I'm really thankful to him for the warnings uh, as well as the blessings that he unfolds to us in the Scripture. The warnings come as woes and the blessings come as blessings. Blessed are you, whatever. And so we're thankful for that. And then the response to truth, quickly. Um, I think of Eve and how she responded to the truth that God gave her. Um, she was easily led astray uh, and kind of detoured. She listened. That's her mistake. Instead of listening to the word, she listened to an alternative voice. She, she thought she could figure her way through it. She mm -hmm. couldn't. Neither can you. Neither can I. We know what God says. Let's stick with what we say. Let's stick to the black and white text and let the black and white text, because it is the truth, speak to us and let it be direction for our lives. And so when we have uh, verses that come alive to us and we are very thankful to the Lord for that verse and speaking to us, we are glad for it. We want to act on it. But when we read the text and it doesn't jump out of the page at it, it's still God's truth. We want to respond to it. Take it seriously. It's very important. Some uh, I think it's Psalm 25. The scripture says, Lead me in your truth. That's your biblical truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and in you I hope all day long. I put trust in you. You are truthful. You are the God of my salvation. If God is the God of your salvation, don't you think he cares for you? I mean, if he gave his life to provide for your sin, don't you think that he's, he's concerned to take care of you? Sure he is. 
and he's given us his word. And so it's, it's uh, Psalm 89 says that his truth is like a foundation. Righteousness, it says, in verse 14 of Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth. Loving kindness is another good word for grace. Grace, loving kindness, and truth go before or precede you. And so we, have, we, are, we are dealing with a God that is God of integrity. He's God of truth. He's loving, kind, just, and uh, we, how can you do any better than that, to have one that's that faithful? The, the fact that God is holy means he's going to keep his promises and do what he says. He's not going to say one thing and then turn around and make fun of you and push you in the gutter or something like that. He's faithful. And we are not faithful many times. We make mistakes, but he's always faithful. And uh, so we're very thankful. So God's truth is uh, worthy of our trust. It does come from God. And uh, one more thing we want to look at, and that is the enemy. And I'm just going to look at one verse. Peter uh, looked at this real good before. And so this is, has to do with the devil in John 8, um, verses 31 through 37. Uh, it's a lengthy passage, but I'm going to read it. It says, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. That, that's an interesting comment about belief, is when he says that, those that believe in him, you would think that if you believe in him, well, that's all you need, that you are in the kingdom. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, he said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. What does abide mean? Linger. Linger, that's right, to stay in it, to, to set up a tent or whatever. So he, he goes on to say, and you, if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if you want to know the truth, then you go to the truth, and you spend time in it, and you get to know it, and let, let it begin to purify your heart and your mind. That's why we were talking before, of reading it every day, of studying it every day, uh, not because there's magic in just doing that, but because it's God's word and he uses it. He speaks to it and he can work in your heart to begin to put these things in your mind. I have, I've had many times verses that I uh, really didn't understand until later on. I was thinking about something else and this verse popped out of my mind and kind of clarified things or whatever. It does that and it's really, really good. So he said, then you'll know the truth and the truth will make you Free, that is, you will not be tossed around with every little wind of doctrine, every opinion and stuff like that. I mean, we got so many opinions and things going on, it's just really unbelievable. And, and I run across that. I have uh, friends, uh, some are very wealthy friends that I've made, and they, they communicate some of the craziest things that you can imagine. And, uh, and I try to, to help them think about it, but I can't. I mean, it's really some weird things. So anyway... Um, the truth will set you free. Jesus answered those disciples uh, who believed in him. Uh, <clears throat> he said, uh, they, they said to him, we are Abraham's seed. We are Abraham's descendants, uh, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? We, we're not slaves. You say we will become free, and Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And I've talked to that. I've said that to uh, my granddaughters. I've said it to them. I've said it to, to people 
And uh, they, a lot of times they kind of offended. No, what is this? I'm not a slave. Yes, you are. You certainly are. And uh, you you don't know it, and that's what makes it so devastating. But you are you are a slave because you're doing what you want to do, and what you want to do is yourself, your flesh, not what God wants you to do. You see. And so you're a slave to sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And that is, that's, a, that's a good verse for all kinds of, of uh, people seeking rehab from things like that. that if, you, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. But he's not going to make you free until you are surrendered to him. He has to be the boss, and then he will begin to do that. I know that you are the son. Let me see here. I know that you are Abraham's seed if you are seeking to kill him, yet you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, that's a little bit of a confusing text, but it shouldn't be because it's God's word that liberates. They are enslaved. He pointed them out, and they are going to be mad at him, and they are going to resist that, and so they, are, they want to get rid of him. He says... It uh, goes on to say, I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. And they answered him and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, you know what? If Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the deeds of Abraham. But now you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. The truth, the truth not only which exists, but the truth which I heard from God. I've given you God's truth, and because of it, you don't like it, and you're going to want to kill me. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not, been, I have not even come from myself. Uh, but he sent me. In other words, he didn't come to do just his own thing, but he came to serve the Father. He's, he and the Father are one. They are on the same mission, the same page. And, uh, but because they, are don't, they don't accept his word, they hate him. That's what he told the disciples also in that prayer. He said, I've given you, I've given you, um, I've given you my word and my truth, and the world has hated you. They hate that. Why do you... Um, why do you not understand what I am saying? Why do you not comprehend what I'm saying? Why can't you put two and two together and grasp what I'm saying? It is because of this. You cannot hear, comprehend, absorb my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. That's true. Carte blanche across the world. People who are not of God don't listen to his word. It's, it's, not, it's not logical. It's that they can't hear it. Spiritually, they're, they're not able to, to um, comprehend it. So God's wrath is revealed against sinners who reject his truth as well. So that will get us started. As we get back to 1 John and we look at it uh, in the months to come, we'll be talking about the effect of truth 
and how we can respond to truth and how we can know the truth because it's a good thing to do that. It's good to know that. Whatever. Anybody, any comments or anything? we right at the end of our time. Unbelief in the gospel is not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Parable of the soul is a good one. That's exactly right. Anybody else? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. I'm sort of afraid of it at the beginning because it's been a long time since I've gotten back into it. But it is your word and it is your truth. And I pray that you'll open it to us so that uh, the truth can speak to our hearts and uh, confront us. You are so good to give us your truth and you're so good to, to give us these, to come and display the message and to be a, a physical, tangible person that we can touch and feel and see and hear and know that you are here and learn from you and, and profit from that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I pray for my heart that you would make my heart faithful, help it to be fruitful. I pray for our hearts that you would help us to listen, to hear you, to respond to you. I pray for this church that you would be exalted and you would be glorified and you would be magnified, not so that the church is exalted, not so the leadership is exalted, not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but so that the name of Jesus Christ would be uplifted and magnified. We're living in days, Lord, that perhaps are going to become somewhat oppressive. I don't know that for sure, and I'm not asking for that, but it kind of looks that way. And so I just pray that you'll, you'll help us to be faithful and respond uh, to those around us with the truth. Give us a knowledge of the truth that we can be used of you to honor and, and glorify our Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.